Hello and welcome to the ChannelBuzz.ca podcast. I'm Robert Dutt, editor of ChannelBuzz.ca and as always your host for the show. Uh, today we take a look at one of the most talked about aspects of IT security this year, cyber insurance. It seems that wherever I go there are conversation about what it covers, why you and your customers might need it, and what insurers expect from you as a client or a supplier to their clients. Uh, to help make sense of it all, we've invited back podcast frequent flyer Tony Anscombe, global security evangelist at ESET, to discuss insurance. We discuss what cyber insurance should cover and what it doesn't cover, what solution providers need to know about protecting their customers and themselves, how insurance requirements are driving security requirements, and how solution providers can find new service opportunities around customers' cyber insurance needs, among other topics. It's a great conversation, so let's get right into it. My chat with Tony Anscombe. Tony, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Hey, and it's always my pleasure to be here. Um, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit around uh, around cyber insurance. You know, getting getting back out on the road this year has been uh, has been nice, and that I getting a little more FaceTime with the MSP community. And uh, among VARs and MSPs, it, it is a hot button topic: the subject of what insurance to have, what requirements are, what the legality around it is, uh, those sorts of things. And I guess to throw it open, most generally, um, what what should you be looking for when you're looking for insurance in the cybersecurity realm uh for yourself or for your customers when you're when you're a VAR or an MSP? Well firstly, I think you need to step back and turn around and look at why you want cyber insurance. Uh because I I get the feeling some people take cyber insurance instead of cybersecurity. This is not <laughs> this is this is a no. <laughs> Let's get this one right out on the table to start with and say no. Cyber insurance is there to help you with other things, and we'll come back to what those are in a minute. But you need cybersecurity. And in fact, we're going to get into what cybersecurity insurance companies are actually looking for at the moment. But in real terms, uh, you know, you're looking for something that helps you get past a cyber incident. And that cyber incident could be a multitude of different things. Yeah, It doesn't necessarily mean, need to be uh, a cyber attack. It could be you know, an outage. A big mm. outage that causes, uh, you know, causes some some significant damage to your infrastructure, or it, there's lots of other things that, that it could cover. But it looks, you know, if you're looking for something to give you uh, some level of cover for, you know, operation operational matters such as costs incurred to keep the business operational, why there's an instant running loss of revenue, income turnover directly related to a, an incident and that I, that one can be a little bit tough yeah <laughs> to prove exactly what lost revenue is uh, related to an instance or uh, cost incurred to recreate or restore data and information etc yeah an investigation an investigation team insurers often can provide experts or put companies in touch with experts so if you're after yeah, legal services, forensic investigations, notifications, and all those sorts of good things, and maybe credit monitoring for the customers if there's been a breach. If you're after these type of services, then that's what insurance is there for. Now, the bit that I think everybody relates this to cybersecurity is cyber insurance paying the ransomware demand. Mm. Uh, and I think we're all too ready to jump to that conclusion, aren't we? <laughs> that that's why you need cyber insurance. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I would have said that was the, the outside piece, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's the other pieces that are important. Uh, if you uh, suffer a ransomware, a ransomware attack, then of course, yeah, the insurer may well step in and help. But the insurance companies have had such big payments over the last year and a half mm. that actually the requirements they're now putting in place for cybersecurity are pretty significant. A while ago, when I heard from partners about the topic of of uh, cyber insurance, it was often around the idea of it being something to to represent or resell to their customers. More recently, it seems like there's more of a push, uh, more of an awareness of the the need, the desire, the mandate to have that kind of insurance internally. I think as um, as the managed services they're offering become. Uh, more core, they're often selling to larger customers who are specifically asking for these sorts of things. Um, is is that a kind of shift that you've seen, and and what do you see as driving it? Well, it's so. it's interesting. That's an interesting question. So, as you know, I've I've just been on my travels presenting at a number of conferences, and and interestingly, in some other markets, it's not as prevalent that people want insurance in this way mm. um, because they see it as cost prohibitive. Uh, and actually, they, they'd rather spend the money on putting in the cybersecurity or putting in the process and the policy that actually you're trying to then cover as well. So it, mm. it's a, and with with premiums on the up, it's it's challenging. But you're right. I mean, a lot of companies now want cyber insurance or cyber liability as part of the package. And if you're an MSP, it makes sense for actually you to have partnered with a cyber uh, a cyber insurance company or somebody offering cyber insurance because what you'll find is if if you randomly allow customers to go and select their cyber insurer those insurance policies may well have preferred vendors or mm. and, and which might not match yours so you might actually be better off going and having a partnership with a cyber insurance and saying these are the products we offer this is what our customers run and this is how we configure it, and actually having, in effect, a pre-certification on the mm -hmm. security you're providing by the insurer. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think when I'm when I'm hearing it from partners increasingly, I'm I'm hearing it from the idea that especially for those who are looking um, up market into into you know midsize and above customers, they're often now pushing back with, "What do you have in place?" Uh, as as a as a provider of these security services that that shows me that uh, that everything will be protected as as needs be. Well, you mean the MSP themselves actually being insured as well? Yes. Right. Okay. So so yeah, I I would expect the MSP to have some some type of liability insurance in there as well. So the MSP is a business just like any other business, isn't it? And <laughs> you know, as we've as as we've seen, um, unfortunately. In that environment, the Kasaya attack last year was a great example. That was a mm -hmm. supply chain attack that affected what was it about eighteen hundred different companies where people were uh, uh, were using the Kasaya managed service. So, um, yes, so there are. All, it's good to understand there are two parts to any insurance policy. There's first part. Uh, there's first party loss, and then there's third party loss as well. Mm -hmm. So when somebody is asking. In effect, the first party. So, I, if if I have a problem and somehow you know there are damage, you suffer damages. Are you going to come after me for those damages? And am I insured against that? And you're the third party, right? So, 
it's important that insurance covers, you know, an MSP that might have a problem, their customer might come out, you know, come and try and claim off their insurance, or your customer might have downstream, you know, downstream customers that try and claim compensation or, or third parties they deal with that might try and come and claim compensation from them as well. So it's important that you have this fir first and third party element to the insurance. You know, you, you touched on the ideas that uh, that premiums are are on the rise as uh, as the threatscape continues to evolve. To use the the biggest cliched phrase in the uh, the history of security cliched phrases, what are insurance providers looking for uh, to to get the best rates to uh, or or even as a you know you must be this hot this tall to ride kind of requirement to uh, to qualify for uh, for the services. Well, I think to to understand that actually is to look to see why insurers decline policies, mm. because the requirements in the why, why they're declining insurance, you're learning about what it is they were looking for that maybe you don't have. And there was a an interesting broker survey uh, carried out by Aon Global uh, back in Q3 last year, so about a twelve months old, and the top uh, decline category was access control now that can mean a multitude of things i mean access control could be um multi-factor authentication yeah or a lack of and we know there's unfortunately some companies out there that still haven't grasped that you need multi-factor authentication and you certainly need that on privileged accounts so admin accounts or such like or when somebody maybe is remote and VPNs should have multi-factor. And yeah, you can think of all the scenarios that, that that's required in. So that's a big one. Business resilience was number two in that survey. So companies not being prepared. Now, um, you, you're, you're up in Canada. Uh, yeah, I'd like to think all those companies up in that Toronto area have dusted off that cyber resilience plan <laughs> since that Rogers outage this summer. Um, yeah, but more to the point, that highlights actually why you should have a good cyber resilience plan, because it's not just about a cyber incident being an attack. It right. could be a cyber incident that is an outage or some other some other reason. So having that business resilience, cyber resilience plan in place is, uh, is essential. And then there's the endpoint and uh, system security. Now, endpoint, you know, we all understand, and, and I'm going to... I'm going to use the word antivirus, but and that's because we all use it. Yeah, it's a term that we all, you know, we all frequently use, which is kind of wrong these days. Old the habits die hard. Yeah, the cybersecurity package that sits on your device and is providing your know, protection of the device, and that's preventative protection, because what it's doing is if it sees a threat coming down to that device, i.e., malware or or such like, or or any other, you know any other form of attack in that way by a, that's malicious, it will block it. So I, it's preventative. But it's deeper than that these days. You also need EDR, uh, endpoint detection and response. Now, what's the difference between these two? And this is a frequent question, is why do I need EDR and why do I need AV? Well, AV is preventative and EDR is slightly different. It's looking for the processes uh, and what's running on the device, and if something happens on the device that's abnormal, then was there lateral movement? Where did it come from? Where did it go to? Who did it communicate with? You know, was it spreading, et cetera, et cetera? So now, if I relate that to something in the real world, 
if you look, some ransomware attacks now don't have malware. So the perpetrator will get into the network, exfiltrate the data, then contact the company and turn around and say, hey, I've got your data. Please pay me not to publish it. Mm-hmm. So there was never any malware. Uh, but, however, there were anomalies in the traffic because why was my data flowing out of my network <laughs> yeah, to this strange IP address in some strange place? And, you know, somebody got into that by exploiting a, vulner- a known vulnerability on the light bulb down the hallway that's a smart light bulb. I, I, and I'm exaggerating here, but you, you understand my point is there are, there are anomalies in the traffic patterns and what's going on on the network. So this mm-hmm. is why you need EDR, XDR to actually identify those things. Now, insurers know this, and insurers are asking in many cases for EDR to be deployed as well. So the the more layers that are there, the happier they'll be. Are we at a point where, well, it does. It sounds like we're at the point where this decides whether whether you qualify or your, your decline service. Um, uh, are there sort of above and beyond measures one can take uh, along the lines of kind of the concepts that we see insurance of, of good good driver uh, discounts, those sorts of things. I if you if you have the appropriate products uh, solutions and procedures and policies in place, does this get more affordable, or is that we not developed that far yet? I think as a company, if you can show that you're following. Uh, a recognized framework such as NIST mm-hmm. and you're adhering, you know, you're adhering quite well to that framework and doing regular audits and, uh, you know, to actually looking to see whether what you're deploying is what's in the framework. Because right? there's, there's one thing of following the framework and then allowing it to drift, if if that's the that's a good descriptive word. Yeah, and in six months' time, you're, you're not quite on the framework anymore. But if you're audit, auditing frequently, and you're making making conscious decisions, then I think you know you're going to bring that that down. And there's lots of things in there in those frameworks: patch compliance, you know, email security, net, network seg, uh, segmentation, vulnerability scanning, pen testing. Um, big one that actually all insurers will ask for is employee awareness training. Mm. That's I, I, I kind of took that one as a given just a moment ago and not didn't mention it, but. Yeah, nearly every company now runs some form of employee awareness training. Uh, at least, typically, well, most companies typically do this once a year, mm-hmm. um, because it's an insurance requirement. Personally, I, I'd be running this more frequently, or I'd be running segments of it more frequently. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you look at the threat data that we've just published in our recent ESET, uh, ESET threat report, what you'll see is there's an increase in phishing, specifically targeting shipping. So you've probably seen them in your inbox, you know, the mm-hmm. DHL or USPS or whatever it might be, email landing in your inbox. And phishing campaigns move from subject to subject through the year. And they, you know, or, or whether there's something in the news, they'll move to that. Yeah. If I if I was the CISO in a business, I would actually be pushing that out every every time the campaign changes, every time some da- piece of data comes out that says <laughs> this is the current phishing campaign. I'd be pushing something out to employees and just trying to say, this is what you should be watching for. Yeah, send us the examples you see in your inbox. Please don't click them. I'd be doing that employee training continually, not once a year. So there's a recommendation for you. The other things that are important in in there are backup and restore. Mm. Um, Now, I I recently spoke at a uh, a conference and uh, a couple of people in the audience um, 
were honest enough to turn and say they'd actually paid ransomware demands. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? A cybersecurity conference to admit that you've paid a ransomware demand. Um, but they put their hands up and, and we had a discussion on why they paid. And interestingly, of the three people that put their hand up, two of them said they paid because they couldn't restore from their backup. So I think there was a lesson there somewhere. Uh, yeah. But actually, um, good backup and good restore policy yeah, and cyber insurers, it's a key requirement for cyber insurers anyway, is to have a backup and restore. But make sure you've actually tested it. Make sure you can actually restore. Otherwise, the backup, you can have a great backup, but if you can't get it get it back up and rolling, yeah, you're going to you're going to end up paying or going out of business or, or maybe both if you're really lucky. Yes, uh, and, and I'll go back 30 years. I worked for a bank when I was in my early 20s. And we had incremental backups, and we had a disaster recovery site two miles away. And twice a day, the tapes were taken from the incremental mm -hmm. backup system, and they were taken to the disaster recovery site. Uh, and I'd say offline, but that's because there was only offline then. It <laughs> 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 wasn't all this. Well, it, it was a connected site, but not in the same way as you, as you know. I mean, it's. Mm -hmm. um, but my point is, this is not new this is something that's been in the computer industry for years and years and years and it depends on which which category of the industry you work in to how important those backups were because uh, for a financial organization that's got a trading room of course it's critical and it always has been um it feels like insurance has been relatively well developed at the the mid-market and above kind of tier are, are we seeing much in the way of offerings or or what do you see as the deciding factors for for smaller businesses to to get involved here and and start considering this as a form of insurance they need to take on i think it depends on the uh the impact the mm. the cyber incident might have so um would you think of a school district having cyber insurance? I mean, business disruption is—is is there loss of revenue? Is there? But yeah. actually, there's significant there's significant discomfort. Data. Yeah, uh, there's got lots of data in there, very personal data, and it causes huge issues actually for all the parents if the kids can't be learning and all that. Yeah, mm -hmm. so there's huge disruption. So you're fine, even down at school districts. Uh, I've cer certainly know some education establishments who have uh, cyber liability insurance uh, for exactly those reasons, for actual recovery and to uh, give them protection should they have a data breach. So I don't think my point is, you know, a, a school of three, 400 kids, I, I define as a small business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it really depends. I mean, if, if you've got a sandwich making shop down the road, and you rely on pure foot traffic, do I need cyber insurance? Probably not. But if if my whole reliance is on you know, using apps and collecting data, advertising my sandwiches and using apps to do delivery, you know, door dashing and such like, mm -hmm. then probably I need some form of insurance because I'm reliant on technology. And my business stop. My business will completely stop if I lose connectivity or I have a, a right. cyber incident. So I think it really depends on the business. Um, any advice for for VARs and MSPs on what they can do to uh, make sure their their customers are as as best set up to uh, to be accepted to have a good experience with cyber insurance and to uh, basically get the get the most out of it. Well, like I say, I think actually uh, follow a follower framework as an MSP, 
adopt the framework as a standard uh, as a standard process and practice for what you then deliver to customers. Now, you might want to segment that framework into what I define as packages, i.e., you know, do you want package A, B, or C from us? And some of it might be reliant on the customer providing the components that aren't in package B or aren't in package C. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would package it up uh, as part of the framework. You know, if you want, we'll, we'll do 60% of the framework, 80% of the framework, or we'll do the whole 100% and you outsource to us. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a, a good way to actually step in and sell it. The other thing uh, I think MSPs have the opportunity to do is part of uh, any cyber incident is reporting back to the insurer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, to make make sure that actually you could do the reporting back to the insurer on behalf of the customer, because if there is a cyber incident going going on, that might be complex of yeah. actually having that negotiation. And as the end customer, you might not be in that position uh, to actually know the language and talk to the insurer. Whereas an MSP, if you've got fifty customers. You probably know the guy at the insurance company. You've probably talked to him before, and you can right. probably add, actually, a, I believe you could add a service in here. And in doing that, you might actually end up providing cyber incident reporting for other reasons to privacy regulators and stuff like that. Hmm. So I actually think there's a service in here about cyber incident reporting. MSPs could be adding to their portfolio. It's always a new service opportunity in the managed services world. That's one thing I have certainly learned over the years. And if there's if there's not, we're happy to uh, to invent one and uh, and and build value in that way. Um, certainly, we this is a space we've seen grow in prominence over over recent years. Where do you see it going from here? I mean, obviously, I I, I presume that the world's security problems aren't going to go away overnight, but the, the insurance aspect in particular, are there, are there any likely evolutions you see to, to what's being offered to how it's being offered, that sort of thing? Well, you're already seeing some changes. I mean, uh, if you, if we went back maybe three years, you know, the requirement around EDR probably wasn't there in a, uh, in an insurance policy. The MFA mm. was probably a nice to have, uh, so you're already seeing the cybersecurity requirements growing in these policies. And that's because of those huge payments we saw in 2021. I mean, just a, a reminder, the largest payment we saw was actually by an insurance company, CNA Financial, paid uh, 40, apparently paid $40 million to, uh, to a ransomware gang. So I, I'm just pointing out these massive payments have that have an effect. Mm -hmm. You're seeing some movement in the market where, uh, there's some discussion or some propo uh, a proposal by Lloyd's. Uh, so insurers are insured. Yeah. So behind an insurance company is an insurer yeah, is is, a, is the person or the group taking the risk. Mm -hmm. And Lloyd's uh, Lloyd's is a an insurance company behind the insurers. Uh, they're talking about no longer covering nation state attacks when it's uh, a catastrophic event. Oh. Now, quite what that means I, I, I'm, yeah, is yet to be seen, but I think what that means is for critical infrastructure and such like, yeah, if it if it's a catastrophic event, then and it, and it's and it's uh, being deployed by a nation state, right. then it won't be covered. So, yeah, if you are in a critical infrastructure environment, be aware that potentially there are some changes coming down the path uh, there. And you need to read the exclusions in the policy to understand what's covered, you know, when you're covered and when you're not. My fear here is sometimes 
um, you find uh, <laughs> some agencies will jump to the conclusion that something mm. is nation state very quickly, when maybe sometimes it isn't always nation state, uh, which could be detrimental, couldn't it? If you've got insurance that has that exclusion uh, and you find it wasn't a nation state at the end of the day. Um, the other thing we're seeing is in the US, there's some discussion going on as well about um, it, the, the insurance companies, uh, insurance industry struggling to to keep pace with the demands being made, i.e. the payouts being made, and yeah. should in some way the federal government be sitting behind and backing up the insurance industry. Uh, so be the insurer behind the insurer. Um, I have a particular problem with that personally, uh, because if then the insurer paid a ransomware demand, that means my tax dollars went to paying a cyber criminal. So I, I personally have an issue with that, but it's a proposal at the moment, and I'm sure all those things will be be thrashed out. That's certainly an indicator that this is uh, this is this is become going to become an even bigger issue. Um, in, in closing, any 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 final thoughts for for MSPs on what they need to know about insurance and and how to uh, how to make this as positive an experience as possible for uh, for themselves and for their customers. I think the big thing I've got in here is is I would one make sure the customer understands this is not instead of cyber security and understand the motivation of why somebody wants cyber insurance mm. and make sure it's being sold accurately that you know this is not oh you need cyber insurance just in case you have a ransomware attack that is not why you have cyber insurance um it might be one of the many reasons so yeah, you know, make sure it's represented well and make sure somebody understands what it is they're purchasing. Tony, always appreciate the time. Thanks once again. Oh, my pleasure as always. There you have it. A look at what solution providers need to know about cyber insurance courtesy of ESET's Tony Anscombe. I'd like to thank Tony for joining us for the show. Thank ESET for their continuing support of the site. And of course, thank you for listening today. The channel Buzz.ca podcast will be back soon. I, I know we haven't been as frequent as usual recently, but we've got a lot coming up. Uh, we'll be on hand for Cisco Partner Summit this week and Ingram Micro One next week. And more events after that, so be sure to keep a lookout on this feed and on the site for all that coverage. Till next time, I'm Robert Dutt for ChannelBuzz.ca. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you around the channel.